excellent is rolling um girls firstly cheers cheers it's almost christmas and thank you <laughs> well whatever christmas we're looking like so whoever's watching this or listening to this podcast in 20 years time this is the year of covid19 where we didn't have christmas uh, as an fyi uh, but thank you ladies for joining me on today's podcast it is the first ever episode so it's really exciting and i have no idea what i'm doing and i'm gonna talk crap for about the next 40 minutes so apologies to both of you and to anyone who's listening to this so um just quickly introductions so obviously you know me because it's my podcast i'm lee we've got becky and we've got Karen, um, both of which are part of the three of us, which is the avocado gang, hence the avos. <laughs> For those of you who are listening and can't see, we've got little avocados on our tops because we're the avocado gang. Thanks to Becky for these uh, t-shirts for Christmas and for helping coming up with the podcast name, um, Avo Talk with Lee. Uh, and you're here having a talk with me. Um, as you can tell, I'm already waffling. So uh, why are we here today? So the three of us are uh, really, really close friends. Maybe maybe best friends? Can we be best friends? Sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time. Um, <laughs> More like sisters. Yeah, like sisters who sometimes argue, but then make up. Um, that's who we are. So uh, I wanted to obviously start a podcast around mental health and well-being, and I thought, well, who better to do my first ever one with than you two? Because uh, you've been here for me, well, not just this year, but obviously many years. But this year in particular, where I've been starting to build my own small business around fitness and mental well-being and physical well-being. So you two are the best people to come on my podcast with me. So um, we're just going to have a chat today, aren't we, ladies? Just an informal, just like how we would normally chat if we were in the same room as each other. But unfortunately, Karen's in tier four. She's in a dodgy area. Mm -hmm. So uh, and <laughs> Bex, Bex in tier one. Yeah, you're, you're the angelic one. And I'm in tier two. So not quite as well behaved as Beck, but also not as bad as Kaz and your dodgy tier four crew um so yeah so we're having a, a just a, a casual chat about our mental well-being and some of our experiences that we've had uh, we've got a dog to join us as well for cuddles <laughs> that's maddie um but yeah just to share our experiences really on what we have gone through ourselves in the past few years because all three of us have in some way um suffered with our mental well-being in the last three years and we were just going to have a chat about that, kind of give the listeners an idea of some of the things that we've experienced, how we knew that we were struggling, so what the signs and the symptoms were. Uh, all of us have also been on uh, medication and at some point have all been on the same medication. And it's been really interesting, hasn't it, to talk about what your um, experience of that particular medication is versus what mine was, because actually we were all different. And just mm -hmm. to, I suppose, help listeners to know that it's absolutely okay to be struggling with your mental well-being. It's also absolutely okay to talk about it. There's always somebody out there who will listen. And to know that not everybody will experience things in, in the same way. And I think medication's got a bit of a stigma around it. And, every, you know, a lot of people think that it's really bad to be on medication and, you know, it makes things worse. But actually, that's not necessarily the case. So I just want to share that, really. Um I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I mean, I know it's really hard for me to do that. Um, so, uh, 
Kaz, let's let's start with you. So um, obviously, Beck and I know um, how things have been for you over the last few years. Um, yeah. Tell, tell us a bit about, tell the listeners a bit about you. So a bit about me. Um, I am 44 years old. Thought yeah. I was invincible. Um, I've been working in a, quite a high profile sort of position looking after other people in a, a you know management position um for last eight years and I think my sort of mental health came really to light for me was um I, I think I'd worked too much do you ever get that where you you suddenly realize that all you do is work all you do is work and it's really long hours they were long days with you know a big area that I was looking after um and I to the detriment possibly of my marriage Mm -hmm. where I was focused so much on my work and making sure I was the best I could possibly be um eventually ended up that you know we we couldn't continue that together so um I split up with my husband and uh, I moved into a house on my own with two teenage children. And again, still thinking I'm absolutely invincible. I can do this. I can run a house. I can look after two children. I can work full time. And eventually, I literally broke. One day I broke. And uh, my poor dad was here at the time. And I remember him hugging me as if I, I was like a child rocking in the in the chair. And he was just hugging me so tight to you know it was the first time I'd ever really thought actually I do I need some help I can't do this on my own Mm -hmm. and um I remember my dad just saying you know you know cry it all out dear you know make sure you you know big pat on the back stiff up a lip and you know back to it dear um and it it wasn't it it just carried on really and and I, I thought I could cope with it and I tried and I tried and then lo and behold, about six months after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So just when you think you, you can't get any worse, um, this comes along. But what happened is whilst I was being treated for my breast cancer, and, and don't get me wrong, for somebody to have breast cancer, I had the best of everything. So the outcome was the best that you could possibly wish for. Um, there was quite a bit of treatment to go through, which took my mind off of everything else because at that point I wasn't working then because I needed to concentrate on getting better. Um, So that that was, you know, probably a good six months whilst I was off work. And then when you sort of finish your treatment and everyone, everyone leaves you, you're like, well, you're better now. So you don't need us anymore. You know, we don't need to come and see you every day. We don't need to ring you every day because you've had your treatment and you're all well again. Yeah, back and to everyday life. Just get on with back it. Back to everyday life. And it, it just didn't happen for me at that point. And I think that's when it really, really hit me after that. Because, you know, I mean, I know it's breast cancer, but I was centre of attention for six months whilst I was going through all the treatment and everything. And all of a sudden you're back to you again looking after two teenage children and running a house on your own and back to work full time. And that's when I realized that I just couldn't do it anymore. And I think with the, you know, you have those sort of life changing moments when you get an illness like that, it was time for me to think about me. Um, And I spoke to my doctor and I was, you know, some of the symptoms, I would just cry for no reason. 
Um, I would be very, very irritable with the children for no reason. Um, all sorts of things used to come out. And when I spoke to my doctor um, about, you know, how I was feeling, and I just said to him, I can't, I can't work like this. I just, I can't get any work done. I can't concentrate. My mind is wandering all over the place all the time. I and remember, that's when... I, talking about the whole crying at no point. So I don't, I think, Beck, you weren't there at the time, but last year when we were on holiday together, I think, Beck, you might have been back in the room and I'd come back from the bar with a couple of drinks and Karen you were on the like the sun lounges we were having a really lovely day just you know sunbathing yeah. and the day was coming to an end and I came back and I just you were just crying you were just sat in the sun lounge crying and I was like oh my god what's happened I've literally gone to the bar to get drinks and you were like I don't know I'm just yeah. I'm just so upset and I and and I just thought, whoa, like, and that for me was kind of an eye opener to see how much you were struggling at the time. And I think because you, all of all three of us, put on a jolly face, don't we, at times when we're mm -hmm. feeling pretty crap because mm -hmm. we don't necessarily want to be really honest and show other people that we're struggling because we know everyone else is struggling too. But I think for yeah. me, at that moment seeing you on that sun lounge, you're just because there was nothing wrong at that point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my god, what have I done? <laughs> That's how it was that's just and then yeah and I explained I, I did pluck up the courage to go and see the doctor and he suggested some medication at that point not because it was the first time or anything like that he, you know he said to me this has been going on since pre the cancer so he was more than happy to try something because I had tried um I'd done some CBT sessions as well um so, you know, everybody's completely different on how those work. But, uh, yeah, I started on the medication. I've probably been on it for about a year now. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty much back to normal. I think things are going really well. I'm changing my job, which you'll all be pleased to hear. Um, I'm actually going to go back to, to, to university and study. Um, so I, I'm looking at life in a different direction now. Um, and you, you, you mentioned the puppy um she was a massive help for me for for my mental health she was one of the best decisions I ever made um one of my best friends as well as you guys obviously um <laughs> you can talk to you can walk her it's that little bit of you, you can know, walk back here, you, know. you can walk back <laughs> yeah we do we do sometimes don't we <laughs> yeah sometimes she walks us I think <laughs> back to the medication thing in like a minute if that's all right yeah um, I just also wanted to touch upon because obviously all three of us have done that same high pressure job at like yeah. the same sort of time as each other. So Beck, it'd be like, so from your perspective, when you were doing that role, did you feel kind of that same way, that real high pressure, that stress, that inability to cope at times, or was that kind of not anything to do with where you got to? Um. It's a difficult one because, you know, Karen and I started not far apart in, in the same role. And I think it was such a sense of achievement and pride. We wanted to give and give and give to our new teams that we were managing. So I think, you know, whilst, yes, there, there was certainly pressures from that company, um, but we would probably elevate them yeah. from, from a sense of pride um, and wanting to do well. And, and sometimes mm. it can be to make up for other shortfalls in your life. So yeah. certainly my job 
um, and still today is the main thing in my life. And and did I think, you know, want it to be, I don't know, when I was younger, I always thought of myself as not particularly academic and I'd have family and that would be my main role. Um, but I think, you know, as time's gone on, I've looked at more my job being that part. So I, I wouldn't say it's affected me in the same way because I really rely on my job to fill voids. So, um, but yeah, so just to talk a little about my situation from a different perspective to Kaz's. So I'm Becky, um, what am I now, 38? approaching the big 4-0 um I live by myself I'm an absolute sucker for this night on a, on a white horse that that has not arrived yet been through a lot of bad boys <laughs> um, that's my choice really um and I have a cat a cat that Lee and I share um because she doesn't always like me so and then when I'm at work uh, Lee would have her for me so yeah but I love her her name's Lola um but I think mine in terms of mental health issues I think mine is a very long battle and it, it and it will I don't know if I will ever win it it's ongoing um I think the good thing about it is that I recognize it now um, whereas before I always thought, um, oh, well, it's, it, that's just me. Um, and that's more in relation to sort of maintaining weight, gaining weight and sort of freaking out around foods, etc. Um, when I was a child, my parents were in the RAF, so I moved around a lot. Um, I was at school abroad and then at boarding school and all sorts of things. So I've, I've never really had a, a bolt hole or anything like that. And I think... You know, I think I, I want to be someone that belongs to something, etc. And I think I just cope with that by um, eating a lot. Uh, <laughs> anything sweet, I would eat it. So I was quite a large child right through my teens, right through my 20s. Um, but I, I never sort of let it necessarily hold me back because I had a bit of a persona. I had like big hair. I dress really loudly. I'd almost cover up that sense of insecurity with, over accentuated like you girls would back me up with this I was very flamboyant in in the way I would dress and certainly the hair I mean it's quite big now but you want to it was big um so yeah you know looking back at it now I wasn't unhappy I didn't feel I was unhappy at the time um but I think looking at it now it would manifest its ways in, in different ways so I would spend a lot on clothing um I wouldn't like to wear the same thing to work if I could help it just things that would probably take you away from looking at my weight I would do other things to hide that um and I think certainly particularly over the last few years I've I've gone through sort of extreme diets whereby you would eat a specific calories you would go to a specific group and, you know, you wouldn't deviate from this process stuff that was given to you. And, and, I, and certainly I dropped weight. Um, I, my hair all fell out <laughs> pretty much all around the sides. I had kidney stones from one of the diets and, you know, it's not, it's not a sustainable thing, but I was so desperate to just drop weight. I, I just didn't care. But then again, you know, once you start eating normally, I'd, I'd piled it all back on and was back to bigger than I was and, you know, for a five foot six woman, you know, the highest I reached was 17 stone. So quite, you know, high in 
you know, medical terms. And I, I knew, I knew that I wasn't healthy. You know, it's things like you know, you're sweatier. We just don't, you, you start avoiding going out, et cetera. And I've always been someone that's said, oh, you know, well, my, you know, my family, it's in my family. I can't help it. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's something that freaks me out because I think, as a woman, you're brought up with all the social media around your magazines that say you should be this size or you should look this way or you should have this haircut, etc. Um, and, you know, without having a long term partner, I started to join up the dots. I think, well, they must they must be connected. That must I must be ugly. That's why. So um, I finally reached a point where one new year it was a couple of years ago now I did find find more healthy eating style diet not a crazy restricted diet um, and I built that up with exercise it's actually Kaz um, that dragged me out one new year we had a big new year's eve which I don't remember um, but we ended up booking a holiday and she ended up yeah where do we go we went to New York New York yeah yeah <laughs> She dragged and then me to the first park run. She dragged me to my first park run. And I think I did it in like 55 minutes or something. Um, yeah. And most of it was walking. Definitely most of it was whinging. Oh. Um, <laughs> I wasn't there, but I, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I literally kept saying the words, I will never do this again. Um, I, I basically hate came. you, I think, came in a few times. Yeah, exactly. I just said I'm only doing this because you told me there's a roast at the end of it. Except... But, Beck, how many miles are you on for 2020 in terms of running now? Well, I'm 35 miles now away from a thousand miles ran. And that's um, two years ago. You said you'd never do it again. And no. Yeah. And now she's quicker than me. She's uh, <laughs> awesome. You well, both yeah. are now, to be fair. I took Lee out on her first park run as well. And now you both. Kaz is, the, Kaz is the link yeah. between Beck and I running. It's because of you. <laughs> yeah, it must be some sort. You should set up an academy, Kaz. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, that combined. I think I, I, I do have quite an obsessive personality. Once I get something, I literally, there is no all or nothing. I just go for it, um, probably to the extreme. But I think definitely it's still why I mentioned it's an ongoing battle with the, like, the food side. So I, I dropped a lot of weight. I got to where I felt I could maintain sort of in the, in the, um, at about 11 stone. Um, and don't be wrong. I never thought I would reach that, but then I remember saying to you girls like, Oh, and no, I'm going to, I'm going to take it down another half stone mm. and then I'll probably take it down to 10 stone. And then, mm. um, and by that point I was very all around here. I was quite collarbone sticking out and, um, you know, I'm, I'm someone that was, gone from not gonna lie probably like a double h cup to suddenly like basically a lot of skin so um, <laughs> um so then I wasn't happy about that so you know I think I, I I'm I am gonna have issues going on long term I think it was only during the summer that I made Lee watch um, Freddie Flintoff's. No, I made you watch it, didn't I? Okay, you? whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Anorexia um, Bulim and, and bulimia yeah. um, program. And um, he was looking at the different forms of eating issues. And one of, one of them was about binging. Um, and this is something the girls know that I, I do 
certainly I do it less, but I still do it when I'm triggered by something that stresses me out. Um, and whilst I'm getting closer to understanding what that is, I, I still do it. So it will be, it will, it will be something around, I can eat solid for an hour and a half and it will be high calorie cakes, wheats, ice cream. I normally list them out and make a joke out of it. Um, and obviously it's not funny because I'm actually severely in pain the next day. I, it writes off the next day. I can't do a lot the next day and it really lowers my mode. I feel, I feel ashamed. And But again, when I talk to you girls about it, I, I cover it up and joke about it, etc. Thinking, well, well, you know, everyone does this, but not everyone does it. It's become apparent. This is not, not the case. Um, so, you know, I think when I've looked at what it is that sets me off, um, the main things is when I feel rejected. So it could be something as small as <laughs> some, somebody not turning up on time or it's like a ping in my head where I'll, I'll just go, I'll get very bad tempered or I'll be very quiet or... It, oh. it, yeah, you've both experienced it on, on occasions. And then what I do is shut down, go off somewhere and binge. Um, and it's not, I feel sometimes like I can't even control it. I know it's coming, um, but it does happen. And actually, you know, because I live by myself, it's easy for it to happen. Um, I think whereas, like, now, like, obviously, because I lived with you in lockdown, we had one, didn't I? And, you know, obviously, Kaz you know, I'd spoke to you a couple of times during that lockdown mm. about how worried I really was about you. Because I think from Kaz and I's perspective, and I suppose on the flip side, like Beck, you and I's perspective for Karen when she wasn't well, you you know to a degree, don't you, about what's going on because that person gives you snippets, they tell you things. But until you're in it and you're there and you see it, you have no real idea of just how mm. severe it is. So like going back to the being on holiday and seeing you burst into tears was that for me the eye of oh crap like Karen's really not in a good place and then mm. with you Beck it was living with you for nine weeks and there was like a couple of Sundays where because I like a nap I'd disappeared for like an afternoon nap and I'd been gone for an hour and you'd never said anything and then I'd be cooking dinner that evening and you'd pick at it like, but you you love my food. Like, what's going on? And then you would admit, uh, well, while while you were asleep, I actually had a binge. And I'm like, well, how is that possible? I've only been I've only been gone for an hour. And then, like, you know, you would list what it is you ate, or I'd see the remains of like the wrapping and stuff. And you're like, wow. And then again, for me, it was like that moment with Karen when it really made me realise your struggles. Um, so you know, from an outsider's point of view sometimes you you think you know what your friends are going through but you kind of mm. don't until you're in that moment mm. so I, I, don't know if I think sometimes as well particularly like with what Karen was just talking about I think we can almost say oh well it, you know Karen's had breast cancer that's really severe like I don't want to bother her and mm. I don't, I don't want to put my stuff on her and I'm sure Karen's the same the other way around and don't be wrong I've had you know what a quite a series of smaller things happen but because I am living alone and don't have a partner etc I kind of I kind of put them on to 
my friends because do you know what I mean? There's almost no one to talk to about it. And sometimes I just need to talk to someone, release it, mm-hmm. and I feel better about it. Yeah. Like for the last six weeks, I've been living with my mum and I haven't binged at all. So it is, you know, it is that being able to say, well, this has just happened because she, she will know if something's on and she'll ask me and it's gone. Whereas I don't have that when I'm at home. Mm. Just to quickly notice that Lola's there. We're on. Oh, sorry, that's my cat. <laughs> Our cat. Um, so that's like a really key point, though, isn't it? To pull out in the sense that for anybody listening to this who thinks that, um, well, I don't want to talk to my friends because they've all got something going on, mm. everyone's struggling, is to try and put that worry and thought to the back of your mind because in some ways as well I don't know if you two will agree even if when you're going through something sometimes it's a nice distraction to listen to someone else's problems and be there for them rather than be so in your own mind about what's going on with you I do you have to be careful when you are that person that a friend comes to to talk about it You've got to be quite careful not to go, oh, I know what you mean because I'm going through this, this and this, because that person doesn't want to hear that in that moment. Do they? they just want you to listen and offer support rather than, a, oh, yeah, like, like the time that I binge ate, blah, 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 blah. Like, nobody wants to hear that. They just want you to be there. But I think for anybody listening who thinks, oh, my friends have all got their own stuff, the reality is that there's very few people in the world who don't have their own stuff going on. But most people will be there to listen to to their friends and their loved ones, won't they? Because they care. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I know what you mean, Beck, because I certainly have had times where it's like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to talk to Karen and Becky about this because, A, they've heard this all before because I might have gone back to an ex a couple of times more than I should have done. So they're probably thinking, oh, for God's sake, sort yourself out. You're, you're bringing it upon yourself. But the reality is that once you tell them, they don't say that and they are there to pick up the pieces and they are there to listen and they are there to, to deal with the tears and whatever else. Goes and I up. think as well, when you, you say that, Lee, when we, yeah, we probably did the first time you went back, we were like, oh, for goodness sake. But then when you talk about it and you explain how it's come about and why it's happened, we then understand that reasoning behind it a lot more. We can then be there for you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think obviously like my, my past relationship isn't the sole reason that I went through mental health struggles, but obviously it didn't help. Um, and kind of going back to obviously, Kaz, you said about, you know, your relationship, your marriage broke down when you were going through that time with work and you know I was in exactly the same position so my marriage broke down about the same time as yours didn't it like yeah there and thereabouts we split up from our husbands around the same time so we were kind of going through that in a similar instance um so yeah so uh, I don't really know I was going with that to be perfectly honest it just came out my mouth um it wasn't a pact like a divorce (laughs) yeah we didn't we didn't agree on it I remember Lee Lee um asked me about it I can't remember where we were in um the same office that day and you said you know how's it going and I said oh you know we're doing this with the houses on the market or whatever and you went yeah so's mine (laughs) I remember going oh my goodness (laughs) what's going on Yeah. yeah but again I don't I don't think I ever told you that I wasn't happy in my marriage and I didn't know how many people because 
what age was I? 20, 27, 28. And I think part of you feels like, Beck, you mentioned it around like the binging and shame and stuff like that. So for me, I think part of the reason I didn't really say anything about my marriage was, was shame. Like I'm 27, mm. 28, I've only been married four years. Like I, I shouldn't be feeling like this or I shouldn't be walking away from someone so early. And people from the outside will look in and go, oh, but you're, you're so happy. Like you've got everything you want. You've got a house, you've got a husband. And like, obviously Beck, you mentioned about, you know, you are the girl that wants that knight in shining armor. And yet I was the girl that could have had all of those things, the house, the kids, the whatever. And I decided to walk away from it all. And a number of people in my life were like, what are you doing? Mm. Like, why would you mm. do that? And yet actually that turned out to be the absolute best decision I've ever made in my adult life. But again, like I said, I didn't really tell anyone about it because I just think I didn't want to admit that I wasn't happy. And I plowed all my time, like you, Beck. I ploughed all my time into into work because that's what I was proud of. Yeah. So yeah. You know. it was sort of an escape, isn't it? And, and it really is. You know, you just concentrate on that and not what's really important mm. is you and your family. And you know, I, I'm I'm loving it at the minute because my two teenagers have come out of their bedrooms. They've been away for a few years and now they're back, and it is just lovely now really lovely um, so if we think about i was going to say other things that are sort of um bringing us together then because you mentioned at the start didn't you about medication and stuff um i think the really good thing about sharing what you're feeling with your friends is you know because i didn't realize that we've been on the same and actually i didn't tell anybody for ages that i was mm. even looking into medication and i just you know, not having been on anything before and then talking to you guys about it, I realised, well, why, you know, it's, it's not really, nothing's happening. I'm binging the same. Um, and it gave me the courage to actually say, this isn't, this, this isn't right. I'm either on the wrong stuff or I'm not on the right dosage. And I think that's really important to not be thinking, oh, well, if I get higher, I mean, there's a stigma of people mm. going to, I really need that support. For me as well, though, like, having never been on antidepressants before, I don't think I realised some of the things I were experiencing weren't normal. So you almost think, well, if I just stay on it for a bit longer, it will just work itself out. And I just, I must just need to stay on it for a bit longer for it to even out. Because that's like what the doctors say, don't they? They say, oh, we'll take it for X amount of weeks. It would take two, four, whatever weeks to go into your system and to work. Um, you know, just, just give it a try, give it a try. And like talking to you ladies, then you go, well, hang on a second. That's not quite like, right. Um, you know, I won't go into details because it's a podcast. And obviously we don't want to share all of those things, but it was things about like how it made me feel in certain situations was not a feeling I'd like had before. And I was like, oh, that's unusual. And, like, I think it was you, Carol, like I said to you about it and you were on a different tablet to me at the time. And yeah. you were, well, I'm kind of experiencing that, but I'm experiencing it on, what were you? When you were on Sertraline, weren't you? Yeah. On, on Citalopram. Yeah. We kind of swapped. And then so we both I, swapped, didn't we? Yeah. So I then went on Sertraline and then you went on Citalopram. Yeah. And I didn't have the symptoms on Sertraline that you did, but then you didn't have them on <laughs> Citalopram. So it was like literally the same drug, two different people 
completely different side effects. I think you need to make sure you talk to your GP about it, though, as well, and not just assume that the first tablet they give you is going to be the right one. Because I remember getting to a point where I said to the doctor, yeah, I'm not crying anymore. And he said, and I said, but I'm not get, I'm not happy either. And that's when he actually said to me, you need to up your dosage because it's got you to a certain level, but it hasn't got you to the, the right level. So you do need to keep having those reviews as well with your doctor. Definitely. I'll come to you as well, because you did get a telling off for this, if you remember. Um, oh, you mean where I came off it? So, so yeah, so, so, so some uh, advice for those people listening around when to come off and what to do so beck like your experience of coming off yours originally what what did you do um, so yeah i've been on it initially some of last year because i had a lot of bereavements etc um and then i thought okay well enough time has passed now i'll just come off them i don't need tablets anymore i didn't consult my doctor which they do tell you to do um i just came off them uh, i had horrendous headaches for quite a while um definitely low mood very quickly and again just that it just heightened my my mood shift so I might be high one day and it don't make don't get me wrong I'm still a bit like that now um but certainly high one day and low the next day and you know I, I do things probably to overcompensate so you know talking about my binging um I would say off the back of like coming off medication and, and not necessarily taking the right steps, I would, well, I still do do a degree overcompensate on my exercise, you know, to make up for any, anything that goes in my mouth. So you've just got, you've just got to be careful. You've got to keep <laughs> any talking, any food that goes in your mouth. Rebecca. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry to lower the tone. It was going so well. Um, but you know, I think, you need to keep talking. You do need to come off it slowly as well. It isn't just bam, come off it. Yeah. So obviously, Kaz, you're still on yours, aren't you? Yeah. And Bex, you yeah. are. I'm back on it on back. a different dosage. So I came off mine. Um, trying to think now, maybe about 15 months ago, but I did do the gradual thing. So I spoke to the doctor, um, and we like halved it, and then like halved it again. Um, and I can't really remember, I can't, I can't pinpoint a time when I just knew to come off of it. It just kind of happened. I can't, I can't really explain it, but I just sort of felt more like me. And I, I felt like I was more aware now of what my triggers were or what the, what the first signs of struggling were. Whereas before... I didn't, I wasn't aware of those and I slipped into that bad, mm. negative, dark place very quickly about the realisation of doing it until I was already in it and it was like too late. Whereas mm. I got to a point where I think I was aware of what those feelings felt like and I was also more aware of what other things I could do that didn't involve medication that made me feel better. So I started becoming better equipped to deal with stuff and it was at that point that I knew actually now is the time to come off of it um but everyone's different aren't they like obviously Mm. you know Kaz you've had yours um upped a few times Beck you've 
especially on. during lockdown because I felt I was ready and I was told not to just because it's such an odd time at the moment just don't do it just yet so I'm, I'm continuing with mine yeah um, I know so many people that have gone on to it over this period and you know yeah you don't need to post you don't need to necessarily tell anybody but I think it's important to recognize something's wrong because there are ways to address it so ladies any other sort of feedback or um uh, advice around like the medication thing i think for me it's just don't be afraid of it um there is a real stigma to it and also you know when I said about my dad giving me a hug and patting me and saying I'd be okay um I mentioned it to him and that sort of age group um he just couldn't get his head around why you would need a tablet to help you um he's okay with it now but you know there is still that stigma um but you've got to just do what's right for you that's my advice speak to your doctor and do what's best for yourself your mum was yeah. similar, wasn't she, Beck? Like in terms of the age group thing. Yeah. The other thing I would just say um, about medication. So I'm on Sertraline. I haven't been on Sertalabram. But, you know, in terms of side effects, etc., it, it does. There's In the initial week, I certainly had headaches, but that does fade. So don't just give them up. Mm-hmm. But I would also say, you know, some of them do react slightly differently. So, I occasionally, not every night, um, get sort of night sweats. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that is common on, on both of them. Um, and that's, that's nothing to be alarmed about. I'm not, I'm not talking about my bed is drenched, but I am aware uh, that, yeah, I do get night sweats. That's, that's the only thing that I have had consistently whilst being on them. But I think that the actual stabilising of your mood make, makes up for the side effects. Yeah. Yeah. I think I for me as well, like I remember when I first went on antidepressants and I told my boss, um, because I because I'd had some time off as well because of my mental health. And I obviously I wanted to make sure he was aware of like where I was and what was happening. And I told him that I'd gone on antidepressants and he'd said, Oh, like you know that so-and-so in the team like she's on them too and if you ever want to talk like I'm sure she'd absolutely talk to you about it and I was like really she can't be on like she's one of the happiest people I know um and it really just made me think oh there is there are so many people out there that Mm. are on them and you just don't even realize it and the people that you think are the happiest are going through their struggles too and they may be deliberately hide it well or maybe the medication has helped to level off their emotions so they're a bit more stable but I just remember thinking I couldn't believe that that person in my team was on antidepressants when she's always been someone I just thought was really super bubbly and outgoing would be there to talk and support anybody but actually she had her own things going on I know that sounds ridiculous when we talk nowadays about everyone's got their own thing in the background be kind all of those kind of sayings and words which I truly believe in obviously but I think it was in that point two years ago that it really brought that to life for me that that there are more people than you realize out there who are Mm -hmm. going through it 
and that, that's even more reason to talk about it because there are loads of people out there who can listen and who do understand um so yeah and i think so also one last thing to i suppose touch on i know obviously this is um in a longer podcast than expected but therapy so again all three of us have seen a therapist to some description um i mean we are lucky don't get me wrong we're lucky in the jobs that we do that we do have access to private health care which gives us access to to therapy which i know that not everybody listening to this podcast would have the ability to have that type of therapy or be able to afford it um and they you would be more um limited to what obviously the nhs can provide you so i'm very conscious of that um but again like beck what what do you think your experience of therapy has been and what would you recommend to others when it comes to talking to somebody as a professional yeah so i use it specifically um at the time to deal with mainly bereavement but don't get me wrong the bits that i've mentioned this evening around uh sort of controlling eating and, and shopping and all that kind of thing um did come up you know because of that i i I think the good thing about CBT and, and talking to somebody, it gets you to sometimes realise things about yourself that you didn't realise before. Because I think because you've got the ability to talk to a stranger, that kind of wipes out the stigma of, I feel ashamed, like this person, you know, knows me and they know me as this person, not this person. So I think it's really helpful to get you to air out a lot of your proper views not sugar-coated and laid bare um but don't be wrong it's not for everybody but then in my kind of eyes it's kind of don't knock something to try it um for example I know Karen you've done hypnotism for some things and that's worked really well for you but when I tried it, it didn't work well for me so I think it's trying to find your own path but don't necessarily write something out after you've tried it yeah absolutely the hypnotherapy worked really well for me because um, I think when we delved back further, there had also been some memories in my childhood that needed addressing. Um, and the hypnotherapy did that brilliantly, but it also gave me visions of what I was looking for moving forward to. Um, so that one was very good for me. Um, so I've had yeah. two types, if you remember, girl. So what, so in the year before last, when I was first diagnosed with anxiety and depression, I had CBT uh, offered through the, the private healthcare. And I can't say whether or not it just wasn't for me, or I do think it was almost at the wrong time. I think I was so deep in that bad place, but in like the emotional stage of that bad place um because it coincided it I mean it started just before I had my relationship breakdown um so it coincided with obviously I was already diagnosed with anxiety and depression and then my relationship broke down and I suppose the, the point of CBT is it's meant to give you the skills and the um the tools to be able to work out for yourself how to overcome things and I remember her basically like giving me homework almost like I want you to go away and I want you to research this this and this and try and utilize it in your life and for me at that point I was so low I couldn't 
I couldn't kind of picture what she was asking me. Like I remember one session and it, it must've been like the week after or something, me and my ex broke up and I was absolutely, I was devastated. I was at the lowest I could have been in my life. I, I was the lowest I've ever been. And I remember her asking me to picture what my life would look like in five years. Like what would I like my life to look like? How would mm-hmm. I want that to be? And I remember just saying, well, I want to be with my ex. Like I want that happy family that I thought I was going to have with him. I remember just bought, bursting into tears, bawling my eyes out in her because she was asking me to bring to life something that the reality is was not going to happen. And it was, mm. it just didn't work. Whereas um, a year later, I, I'd recognised some of the signs of my depression kind of, re I'm not saying it had gone away completely but it started to rear its head so I decided to do something about it at that point rather than it get worse so I recontacted the the private medical like healthcare team and I said look I've had CBT in the past um like I don't I didn't feel that it was right for me at that time or whether it was right at the point um but I really want to do something about things now. And they ended up offering me like a clinical psychologist rather than CBT. Um, so it was quite different. Like there was no going away and having your homework and all that kind of stuff. It was much more delving into the past mm. and I suppose coming, bringing, bringing back to life some of the things that I'd experienced when I was younger that actually in reality and I'm not saying I had a terrible childhood or anything like that, but there was a lot of big things that did happen in my childhood that I've always just, I just dealt with it. Like I was an only child. It was only me. Both my parents were very poorly over like a, a close proximity to each other. And I'm the kind of person, as you two hopefully will agree, I really care for people and I really want to be there for people. And I will do everything I can for the people I love. And that's, Mm -hmm. and I've always been like that, even as a child. So I think when I went through that period of my life, when my parents were ill, I kind of put it in a box. I dealt Mm -hmm. with it. I stepped up and I wasn't really a teenager anymore. I was Mm -hmm. almost a young adult helping support family. And I then just went into my adult life and carried on. And Mm. this clinical psychologist kind of unpicked that and made me see that some of those things might well have an input into the traits that I have now, not necessarily in a negative way, but definitely helped me to realise that maybe I act the way I do about certain things or maybe I am the way I am to certain people because I find it really hard to walk away from people that aren't right for me whether that's like a toxic relationship or a toxic friendship or something that makes me feel really terrible but I struggle to walk away from it because I'm scared of how that person's going to react um and I think that comes from like a lot of the things I experienced when I was younger but it wasn't until I saw a clinical psychologist that I had any idea of that so from Mm. my perspective CBT yeah I don't think that did work for me and again like I said not everyone's going to have access to clinical psychology of course they're not but if you do have the access to that and you are struggling from my perspective like Beck said don't knock it till you try it and Mm. remember that when you go in there that person has seen it all before haven't they they have literally seen someone crying their eyes out all before that's why there's a box of tissues there they've seen so much that you are not going to be a nut job 
walking into their office are they they're not going to be that because they've seen it they understand it that's their job so you are able to go in there and if you can't lay bare everything to that person who's trained who can you lay it bare to so I think that's my 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 bit of um no. I think on that as well, um, and I'm pretty sure you had it, Beck, with the, the first lady that you saw. If you don't, for some reason, feel that connection with that particular person, though, you do need to change it. Yeah. Um, the first time I had CBT, I didn't get on with it either. Um, but I do wonder whether it's more because it was the, the person that I was dealing with. Whereas when I went through the, the hypnotherapy um, and all the things that we did together, I had a real bond with that particular person. So it, it was so much easier for me to talk to her. Um, so again, I think you, you'd said, hadn't you, Beck, you'd had a lady that you just didn't, didn't fit with. Yeah, definitely. And they do say, like, if, well, certainly if it's a reputable therapist, they do tend to say um, the first one certainly is normally discounted or something like that because you're almost just trying mm. that person on. Um mm. So, yeah, I mean, with that particular one, I didn't. Um, and I found someone else. It was nothing nothing to do with. I just didn't leave there not feeling fixed. But I, I felt there was something niggling. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, mm -hmm. go go with your niggles. I yeah. think wow, yeah. like, a good therapist will also be driven partly by you too. So, like, when I saw the clinical psychologist last year, myself and my ex were back together at that point. But obviously things... You know, I know now in reflection, things were never going to be how I want them to be. But at the time, I thought what would help me would be for him to come along to a session, not like a couples therapy session, but for him to come along to hear kind of what it is that I'm talking about with my therapist and to understand, you know, sometimes like when you tell someone the same thing over and over again and you think, why, why do you not get this? Why do I have to keep telling you? And I sort of thought that maybe by it coming out in a different way with someone else asking me and that person being involved would help them to understand it. And mm. you know what? It was, I, I'm really glad I did do that session together um, because I felt like I could, you know, because you've, you've said the same thing so many times, you start to wonder if you are crazy. And like, is it just in my head? Do I need to stop thinking about this and stop worrying? But then when you're in front of a therapist and you're saying it, you're like, well, no, you've clearly feeling that way for a reason. So don't be ashamed to say it. So I think mm. if you've got a good therapist, if you think that bringing a friend or bringing a partner or bringing a parent to your session would be right for you and would help that person that, that cares about you understand better about what's going on in your in your head, then mm. then ask, ask them because it's your, it's your money that you're spending, isn't it? And if you think it's going to help, of course, the therapist is going to give you some ideas as to whether they think it would be beneficial, but ultimately they should be led by you as well. Yeah. So I think Very, that's yeah. important. Um, I suppose really, I, can't, I think we should probably wrap it up now. We could be here all night talking about it. Really <laughs> uh, and I, honestly, I'm really, really thankful that you've come on and joined me for this first podcast because, well, you were there this year for my first fitness class and yeah. my first podcast. So you are awesome. Um, first massages. Oh, yeah. yeah. First massages too. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of firsts together in 2020. It's awesome. Um, we do have good health as well as, I think it's, mental health is just about keeping it in check, isn't it? It's, it's not necessarily something that's just fixed. It's 
different things and different levels. And I think Karen hit the nail on the head earlier. I think generations gone by didn't see, well, didn't value it as something as an illness, like almost a a luxury. Yeah. Under the carpet. Yeah. Oh, that person of clearly you need too much attention and mm. um, I think it's really important to listen to yourself understand if you're reacting to something and, and and just look for things that are sort of out of character for you and abnormal because mm-hmm. um, I think once you do start to get a grip on it it's really nice to feel in control of yourself and you know yeah. what also as well you say about things that are out of character for you sometimes you won't even spot it so mm. sometimes I'd be checking in with a friend and I know it's hard as a friend. You don't want to necessarily say something that's going to upset another person, but if that person loves you, they will say, you know what? You're acting differently at the moment. Yeah. Or you're doing this, And I'm worried about you. So maybe mm-hmm. you can't necessarily see it. Like I, I know when I was at my worst, I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. And I think the first moment I knew my medication was working was almost like I'd stepped outside of my body and stepped outside of the situation and I saw it through fresh eyes and I went oh like I've been doing that and I never even realized and it just became habit it was suddenly habitual that I was overthinking I was questioning I was worrying and I was all of those things and that was the first moment for me when I knew medications work because I'd stepped out of it but I'm sure if I'd have asked you ladies you'd have been like well actually like you've been acting this way or this way, you might not have realised it. But obviously you've got to be, understand that sometimes you're going to hear things you're not going to like. But if it's... Yeah, and then you might see everyone exit your WhatsApp group. And... <laughs> <laughs> Which we've had on occasion. <laughs> it's okay, the arrows are back together again. It's all good. Like we said, we're sisters. Sisters argue now and again. Of course we do. <laughs> it's a healthy relationship. Exactly. But I think... You know, like you said, it's good to be aware of yourself, but that sometimes takes time, doesn't it? It takes time to be aware yeah. of who you are, what you're like, what triggers you. And like you said, Beck, you're still very much on a learning curve at the moment. There's still a lot that you don't know. But I think for me, like, I want to say thank you for coming on this podcast and talking about binge eating, because the reality is you, you haven't gone to a doctor to be diagnosed with binge eating. You're not no. at that stage yet in terms of, necessarily actively going and saying it you're on that path of self-discovery right now where you know like I said we watched that um that tv series together you've gone out and you've also bought a book to educate yourself so you're at that point where you're becoming aware of things that now you realize isn't yeah I didn't realize it was a thing to be honest I only I was only aware of anorexia and bulimia I didn't really understand it as an issue but I think I'm sure Karen you'll agree but I'm really proud of you for for being in that point in your life at the moment um because I know I'm digressing from the end of this podcast but as a friend when you can see your friend in so much pain not necessarily physically but mentally and you can't do something about it it's it is it's painful for us too because all we want to do is help you and I think it's good now that you're you're starting to come to that realization of actually there's some things here that I can learn to help myself 
And again, like this podcast is ideally about helping people learn as well about different mental health illnesses because there's still a stigma attached to it. People don't want to necessarily see it and hear about it, but there's a lot of education that needs to be done out there to help people realise what what life is like. And my hope is that as this podcast progresses, I'll talk to people with lots of different mental health illnesses to help other people understand what it's like to live with them. But from my perspective, waffling on, like... To me, Beck, I think it's amazing that you are starting to do that research and you're starting mm. to understand it more for yourself. And I think that's an incredibly strong and important step to take. And Karen, I'm sure you'll you'll agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, like, I don't think Cap Reese will agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like you, Kaz, again, it was in a really strong step for you to go I can't do this on my own mm -hmm. and it's okay to admit that I'm not superwoman even though yeah. I like to think that I am and everyone around me thinks that I am but actually I'm really not and it's that's another strong thing as well so mm. we might have all we might all be in a different place with our mental well-being right now but we've all had to admit that we haven't been well and it takes a lot of courage to actually put your hand up and say I need help and like for me, when I went to the doctors that first time and I sat in his, in his office and I cried and I went, I need help. And he was mm -hmm. like, well, why? And I had to just spill it out. And I'd never done that before. And it's really scary. Yeah. So we've And I think one of the first steps in that, Lee, if, I, if I'm allowed to say, is um, I am a, a listener for the Samaritans. And um, sometimes that is somebody's first step because it, it's somebody that they can't see so it's a just a voice at the end of the phone just somebody to listen and then you know we as we talk things through it could be that that person then decides to go and speak to their doctor um, but it's a really good starting point for anyone that is needing just to vent or someone just to listen perfect that's a really good final piece towards that Karen because I was going to say about Samaritans um they're a fantastic, they're a charity, aren't they, effectively? Mm -hmm. so they're fantastic. Um, Karen, remind us of the number for Samaritans, if you don't mind. Yeah, 116123. It's free phone number. And if you're worried, it won't show up on your phone bill. So if you've got a mobile or a house phone, it, it won't show that you've called either. Awesome. Um, so you might end up picking up the phone to someone like Kaz, um, and she'd happily listen. And from my perspective, you know, I do a lot of fundraising for Mind, the mental health charity. I think what they do is is absolutely incredible as well. Um, I've also um, done some fundraising this year for a company called Calm or a charity called Calm. They're a suicide awareness charity. Similar to Samaritans, they have also a, a hotline that you can call if you are struggling and you are feeling suicidal, we're having suicidal thoughts. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for mental well-being. And I think you know, we, we can all do with sharing a bit more about what's available out there, uh, especially, you know, Christmas is generally speaking quite a, a tough time for people, especially like people who are alone, who've lost family. But if we think about 2020 and adding on COVID-19 and, you know, we've just had announcements only in the last couple of days about people going into tier four, they can't now mix with other households. Like this is going to be a really, really tough year for a lot of people. So, I think for me, my final piece of advice, just to wrap up this podcast, would be 
for those of us out there who think we've got those really strong friends and those really strong family members, the ones that check in on everyone else, just take a second to maybe check in on those people as well, because they're often the ones that are struggling and you just don't realize it. Um, So that's my kind of final piece of advice around this time of year, COVID, mental wellbeing. Beck, have you got kind of any parting pieces of wisdom in that brain that you want to impart? I would say physical activity. Now, I get there's going to be people here that, you know, oh, I hate gyms and I hate this and, I, you know, I you know, I can't do that. But it's as little as just getting out routinely, whether it's a walk, you know, whatever it is. I think that's really important to yeah. aid anything. Um, you know, it's all the endorphins, etc. But I think it just breaks up your day and actually mm. by doing it regularly it makes you really appreciate what is around you. especially as a lot of us are working from home now we are stuck indoors same four walls work day and evening you definitely need to break up your day and get out get some fresh air absolutely anything from you Kaz any last words of wisdom um no just just talk just talk to each other you know there's there's nothing wrong with talking um as you can see we we obviously love talking (laughs) just just don't be afraid of it no absolutely and i just add on the only other thing is sometimes explore your work benefits because there's often things it might even be just a helpline if you're a manager or something like that, that that you don't know about so i think employers are getting a lot better at understanding well-being um but it's up to us to come up with ideas as well so that's my final part of wisdom (laughs) no that's a really good shout because we're obviously here talking about our own mental well-being and what we as individuals should be doing if we're struggling but it's a really good shout that if you are say a manager of people to kind of think about how you can be more aware of what to do to support your staff and so I will leave it with one last piece actually something that I've done this year is I've become a mental health first aider Um, And quite a lot of employers are looking at at those types of qualifications as well internally. I've done it externally, but I know my employer also does it internally. And that will give you some more skills and understanding of all the different types of mental health um, issues that somebody might be facing. The signs and symptoms on what to, to look out for, how to have a conversation with that person, but also where to point them if they do need further support. Mm-hmm. So really good shout, actually, Beck. We've talked a lot about ourselves, but what can we do to help support others? So that's a really good shout. Thank you. So, ladies, I I will wrap it up there because um, our poor listeners are probably like, oh, my God, I thought it was going to be a short podcast. But it's, Yeah, we should have told them to get their popcorn in. but honestly ladies honestly I think it's been an amazing podcast to have a chat with you and I know we talk all the time but we've probably never really spoken like this have we so um it was it's a brilliant to do my first one with you I really really appreciate it um and looking forward to to the next one and who I'll have on as my next guest but obviously nobody can nobody can top the avos obviously So thank you everybody who's been listening to this podcast. We've been Lee, Kaz and Becky. Um, And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.